I count on one thing The same God that never fails Will not fail me now You won't fail me now In the waiting The same God who's never late Is working all things out You're working all things out In Galatians chapter 5 and in verse 1, it says, It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then, and do not let yourself be burdened again with the yoke of slavery. Mark my words. I, Paul, tell you that if you let yourself be circumcised, Christ will be of no value to you at all. That's something. So that's uh, that seems very important to me. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. So God's desire for us is freedom. He wants us to be free. He wants us to be unencumbered spiritually. A lot of times when we talk to people about freedom, they think fr they think of freedom in the political sense, right? That we, you know, the the America is the land of the free and the home of the brave, right? But freedom is much much more than that. Freedom is genuine freedom is spiritual freedom. As we all know, the apostle Paul was in jail but, uh, and for a good chunk of his ministry, but uh, during that time, he was completely free in his soul and free to fellowship with Jesus Christ and with God. So freedom is, is hugely important for this walk of the Spirit. If you allow yourself to become encumbered spiritually, you cannot walk by the Spirit. We'll see that shortly here. So God's desire is that we stay free. And what I've talked about many times in this fellowship is there's this whole notion of spiritual maintenance, that we have got to keep ourselves from becoming burdened. And a lot of times it's a slow burn. Uh, we don't even realize it's happening. So Paul is here saying that if you are, if you find yourself in a works religion works mindset here he refers to the circumcised which are you know he's referring to these judaizers that had gotten into the church he says if you let yourself become like this christ will profit you nothing you it will christ will be of no effect for you and you see this mutual exclusivity if you live by the flesh you won't be living by the spirit and if you're living by the spirit you won't be living by the flesh if your righteousness lies in your um, physical, financial, uh, whatever, if it falls in those categories, Christ is not the one who is making you righteous. So the point here being is that we have to keep our heads screwed on right spiritually, and that will require us to spend a lot of time in God's Word. Uh, remember, the Word is quick and powerful. It's sharper than any two-edged sword. God can get after those things in our lives that are pulling us into bondage. So look in verse 3. It says, again, I declare to every man who lets himself be circumcised that he is obligated to do the whole law, the whole law. Um, in the book of James, it talks about if you want to do the law, okay, go ahead and do the law, but that means you have to do every jot and tittle of the law. If you violate the law in one place, You've violated the law everywhere. In other words, there's no room for growth. There's no room for mistakes in the law. If you mess up in one place, that's it. That's it. 
So, as I said earlier, the context of this is Paul's confrontation of these Judaizers who had crept into the church and who were bringing the church into bondage. Um, For most of us, though, you know, we're not fighting with Judaizers, are we? So our contest is with sin or with the philosophies of this world, you know, the things that our neighbor is telling us. These are things that we have to be on our guard on. So look in verse 4, it says, You who are trying to be justified by the law have been alienated from Christ. You have fallen away from grace. Isn't that something? That you've fallen away from grace. What's one of the most interesting things for me is I've been in many churches that you can tell the uh, congregation is law-bound. And yet, boy, they're talking grace like, a house of fire. Grace is a word. In and of itself, it means nothing. It's the meaning behind the word grace that we're talking about. What is grace? Well, it's God's favor. It's freely given. It's freely received. The idea behind grace is that God has empowered us. He's blessed us. He's He's given us his wisdom and his joy. But the point here is that God is the giver. God is the one doing it. Religion, on the other hand, focuses on the person, that you have to do this, and you have to do this, and you have to do this in order to be good and right. I wrote down in my notes here, uh, we do try to justify ourselves in other ways. We try to justify ourselves by, you know, pointing out how hard we work. We're, we're hard workers, and, and we're devout, right? I get to impress others how devout I am. There's just a plethora of ways that we can fall into this trap of self-justification. Whenever we use the phrase, I'm good or I'm right, because we, we have fallen into that trap. The only way that that phrase makes any sense is I'm good or I'm righteous because of what Christ did for me. If if you use any other explanation, you're in works. I thought about Isaiah 64, 6, where it says, But we are all as unclean things, and all our righteousness is as filthy rags. And we all do fade as a leaf, and our iniquities like the wind have taken us away. Pretty much sums it up, right? All of man's glory is as a filthy rag. So if we are deriving any kind of self or a sense of self, sense of success, a sense of goodness or righteousness, it's, the Bible says it's all dirty rags. That we have to trust in God through Christ. That any goodness that I might have or any righteousness that I have is through Christ. It's through Christ. Verse 5, it says, But by faith, we eagerly wait through the Spirit, the righteousness for which we hope. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision has any value. The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. Isn't that something? I like that. I like that. The King James says, faith which worketh by love. The REV talks about trust. The word pistis being translated in trust. The point being is that God and Christ are our all in all. And that we, because of our relationship, we manifest it horizontally. That we love people. That we serve people. It's a faith that expresses itself through love. If you're not having any expression of love, then the fact is there's probably no faith behind it, right? Verse 7, you were running a good race. 
who cut in who cut in on you and kept you from obeying the truth so you have this analogy right this analogy of you're running a race right so he's talking to the galatians he's saying look you were racing you were doing so well in your race but then somebody cut in on you somebody cut in on you and now you're not running such a great race anymore you're not doing very well isn't that something it just goes to show that we simply in this race um, that we're in this this walk by the spirit we we can't rest on our laurels that we begin in the spirit but we can soon find ourselves smack dab in the middle of the flesh and that's why we have to continue trusting god day by day and even moment by moment i'm amazed at how quickly i can get completely out of fellowship with god by my walk of the flesh. I mean, it's all a frame of mind. If I'm, you know, I wake up in the morning time, I spend time with God in the morning, I'm praying, I'm reading his word, I am in sync, I'm in step with God. That's the best thing that you can do. But throughout the day, you're going to be tempted to get out of step with God. So, so I'm a, I'm a big advocate for spending time with God first thing in the morning time. And then it says, uh, verse eight, this persuasion or this kind of persuasion does not come from the one who calls you. So here Paul is, he's trying to appeal to the Galatians. He's saying, look, you guys got a problem here in your group. You have somebody who is provoking you to the flesh, right? You started off well, but who is it that cut in on you so that you're not obeying the truth? Now, whether it's a person or whether it's just our own personal sin, you know, it, it's easy to go around pointing your finger and saying, well, you're you made me do it. But a lot of times it's just the sin in our sin nature that causes us to, um, you know, follow after the flesh and not after the spirit. Verse nine, it says a little yeast works through the whole batch of dough. And that's that's this power of of sin. That sin, once it's given um, vent, it can it can move through your entire being, your entire framework. We were talking about that at the prayer breakfast the other day about you know ministers who um, started off great, but then they fell into sin, and and that it didn't happen like that. It was a progression. It was you know. Piece by piece, you know, decision by decision, they fell into sin. And that's why it's so important for us in this body of Christ to be able to speak up and say, look, you know, God, God put it on my heart to share this with you or or whatever. It's not because he wants us, you know, to be a bunch of reprovadors running around reproving people. But he does want us. And we're, we're going to see this later on in this chapter or in the next chapter, he wants us to help each other to walk better for him. And then I thought of Romans chapter 10, 4, where it says, Christ is the end of the law of righteousness for everyone who does one thing, believes. See, that that's really the choice that you've got. The choice is either I am living by the righteousness of Christ or I'm living by man's creed. But those are the only choices I have. And a person lives by the law of Christ by doing what? By believing. I think about Second Corinthians where it says, it says just like Moses came down from the mountain and it, he shined with that Shekinah glory, right? And and uh, so that people couldn't look on him and and how 
that that veil that they had to put over him is the same veil that we find over the reading of the scripture. But when we turn to the Lord, that veil is removed. And then it says, behold, the glory of the Lord. We are changed into that same glory. If Jesus Christ is front and center in your day, then you are going to be changed from glory to glory. But if he's not, you are going to fall back under the flesh. It's inevitable. It is just how it is. So we've got to put Christ in our day, in the middle of our day, every day. It goes on to say, in that case, the offense of the cross is abolished. Verse 12, as for those agitators, those Judaizers, I wish that they would go the whole way and emasculate themselves. And I think this is kind of hilarious. <laughs> I mean, this is this is Paul being Paul, and uh, it was pretty tongue-in-cheek. He's saying, look, if if these Judaizers want to circumcise so much, why don't they circumcise themselves? And while they're at it, why don't they cut the whole thing off? You know, he said this partially, I'm sure, for shock value. It was to get, get these people's attention. Look, this is dumb. You're not going to be righteous or unrighteous based on circumcision. It's faith. It's faith. Verse 13, you, my brothers, were called to be free. But don't use your freedom to indulge the sinful nature. Rather, serve one another in love. So we read back in, I think it was verse 13, talked about faith which worketh by love, right? Now we're reading, we're supposed to serve one another in love, okay? So remember what I said, you know, you can't walk by the Spirit and walk by the flesh at the same time. In verse 14 here, it says, the entire law is summed up in a single command. Love your neighbor as yourself, right? Love your neighbor as yourself. Remember in 1 John where it talks about our love has got to be associated with action, right? You can't love simply in word or in tongue, but you must love in deed and in truth. Verse 15, if you keep on biting and devouring one another or each other, watch out or you will be destroyed by each other. And this is one of the aspects of the flesh. It it stirs up, it causes turmoil, it causes agitation. There is infighting. If you are if you have a church and you have a and your church is, you know, squabbling and fighting and factional, um, you have a flesh problem there. You have a flesh problem. This was the condition of the churches in Galatia. These agitators were pitting church household against church household. It had become political. We see this in our political process, don't we? All the time. The media and politicians are constantly pitting group against group, faction against faction, constantly. People are constantly agitated, constantly unpeaceful. And when you have a group of people who are constantly unpeaceful, they are primed and ready for error, right? They're prone to making bad decisions. They're malleable. Satan knows exactly what he's doing. If he can keep a church or a family or a country agitated, he can introduce his error. And we can, all we have to do is look at our culture to see that. Verse 16, so I say, live by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the sinful nature. That's a definitive statement. So Paul is saying, listen to what I'm saying here. If you live by the Spirit, you will not gratify the desires of the sin nature. So a person comes into the church and says, how do I overcome my sin? Well, there's your answer right there. 
I mean, of course, there's a lot of depth to that. But if you are walking by the Spirit, this is very practical. If you're walking by the Spirit, you cannot be fulfilling the desires of the flesh. It's just that simple. These two things, the flesh and the Spirit, are mutually exclusive. You can't live by the Spirit and live by the flesh, and you can't live by the flesh and live by the Spirit. They're opposites, right? It's so important. And how do we live by the Spirit? Well, it just told us. We serve one another in love. We serve one another in love. So that would be a good indicator for me if I'm doing a personal checkup. How much is the Spirit working in me? How much am I walking by the Spirit? Well, how much am I serving people? How, am I, how much am I serving my brothers or sisters or my family? That's a big question. <laughs> Needs an honest answer. Verse 17, for the sinful nature desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the sinful nature. They are in conflict with each other so that you do not do what you want. How about that? I think that is such a profound statement. That I like the King James reading on this. It says, the flesh lusts against the spirit, and the spirit lusts against the flesh, and these are contrary one to another so that you could not do the things that you would. So the flesh is a conf in conflict against the spirit. The spirit is in conflict with the flesh, and that's just the way it is. That's the reality of the situation. As we call it in engineering, that's the truth on the ground. Verse 18, but if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. You are not under the law. Why? Because there's no law that can control you as you walk by the Spirit. Not, not any fleshly law. I, granted, the Old Testament talks about, you know, I give you a new law. Uh, but it's, it's, it's a walk by the Spirit. It's a walk by faith. Verse 19, the act of the sinful nature, acts, I'm sorry, plural, of the sinful nature are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity and debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissension, factions and envy, drunkenness, orgies and the like. How about that? I think about that word witchcraft, you know, this is, uh, this is more than, you know, three witches with pointy hats sitting around stirring a cauldron. This is uh, spirit, right? This is a sorcery. This is a notion of what Simon the sorcerer had done to Samaria before Philip came in there and set them free. It's a bewitching. So in other words, there are spirits involved here. But you see here generally in the works of the flesh that there is this abandonment, this lack of self-control, that you turn yourselves over to these lusts of the flesh. I mean, think about the sexual immorality that we see in our culture now. It's, it's out of control. It's absolutely out of control. The impurity and debauchery, the hatred, the discord, the jealousy, fits of rage, ambition. I mean... You, all you have to do is pick up a newspaper. This is what you see. Dissensions, factions, envy. It's really something. He said, and Paul says, I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. In other words, if you're living like this, all, you know, you're precluded from all God's goodness, all God's righteousness. You have cut yourself off from it. Uh, hold your finger here and go to Ephesians chapter four, Ephesians four. Christ will profit you nothing if you walk by the flesh. Ephesians 4, and look in verse 17. It says, So I tell you this, and insist on it in the Lord, that you must no longer live like the Gentiles do, 
in the futility of their thinking. They are darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts, the hardening of your heart, their hearts. Now, how does a heart get hardened? Well, through sin and unbelief. That's how it happens. Having lost all, the ins- all this sensitivity through a hard heart, they have given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity with the continual lust for more. More, 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 more. Boy, isn't that the call of our culture? You, however, did not come to know Christ that way. Surely you heard of him and were taught in him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus. That is not the walk of the Spirit. The walk of the Spirit is all about moderation, self-control, focus, that we're looking upward. Verse 22, but the fruit of this, this, I'm sorry, I'm back in Galatians 5. Verse 22, but the uh, fruit of the Spirit is love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control, self-control. Against such there is no law. There is no law that can produce spiritual fruit, none. Growth is not a mechanical process. If you plant a seed in the ground, it germinates and grows on its own, right? And it either flourishes or it diminishes. All that I can do if I'm a a cultivator, the only thing that I can do for that seed is I can, all I can do is provide a good growing environment for that seed to grow, right? I can provide good soil. I can provide good, uh, plenty of water, plenty of sunlight. And then I can also remove the parasitic plants that are around it, you know, the weeds that would suck the life out of my plant. That's what I can do. And you can see how this metaphor extends, right? I can, you know, make sure that I'm dwelling in a good spiritual environment, that I come to fellowship regularly, that I hang out with people who are spirit-filled Christians, that I spend time in the sunlight of God's word right? That I'm being nurtured. You know, I I freely avail myself to God's word, to God in prayer, right? That I'm praying to God. That's me being a good cultivator, but it's not me making myself grow to be righteous. I'm not righteous because I read God's word. I'm not righteous because I'm pray because I pray. The righteousness part is God's job. God makes me righteous, God floods me with his goodness. That's grace. Do you understand that? That is grace. All I'm doing is setting the environment. That's it. Verse 24, those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the sinful nature with its passions and its desires. That's me picking those weeds, right? That we are responsible to mortify the deeds of the flesh. You don't have to turn there, but Romans 8 says, for if you live according to the sinful nature, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. Colossians 3, 5 says, put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. The point being, I've got to be willing to go after those weeds to keep that environment pure, right? Verse 25, since we live by the Spirit, 
let us let us also keep in step with the spirit and i love that translation we are in step with the spirit we are walking with god and talking with god that god works in us to will and to do of his good pleasure remember a minister in the old days who said you know your your walk with god can get so sweet that god provides things for you before you even ask for them that they're there and i believe that's absolutely true <coughs> Verse 26, let us not become conceited, provoking one another and envying one another. I used to always read this verse right here, 26, as kind of a, you know, an afterthought to the entire chapter. Uh, but it, it's not. It's just the opposite. It's, it's significant. It's, it's summary. It says, you know, the walk of the flesh is conceit. It's provocation. It's envy that when you are walking by the flesh, you've got nothing good to offer anybody else in the household of the church, right? It's just the way it is. It's, you know, provoking and envying. I thought about Hebrews 10.24, where it says, let us consider one another to provoke unto love and good works. I mean, God wants us to be provocative, but he wants us to be provocative in the right way. He wants to provoke one another to love and good works. That we study one another, we know each other, we know each other's ministries. We go, hmm, what can I do to help Sally walk a better walk for God, right? I mean, that that's kind of cool, isn't it? Or if I have a need and Joe happens to have that ministry, I avail myself to that ministry. That's how the body of Christ is supposed to work. And we don't try to do everything ourselves. We don't go on our wilderness walk. Whenever I hear that, it just it drives me crazy when I hear somebody says, well, you know, I'm kind of doing my own thing. Uh, yeah, you are. You are certainly doing your own thing, but you're not doing it with God because that's not how it works. It's not how it works. We're supposed to provoke one another to love and good works. We're not supposed to provoke one another and envy one another. All right. Galatians 6, 1. Brothers. Okay. So before I go on. This is the ideal walk. This is how we should be walking in this body of Christ. But we live in a fallen world, don't we? We live in a battlefield. There are casualties in that this battlefield. You have people out there on the front lines who are fighting, and every once in a while, one of them will get hit. And that's the way it happens. Now, if we were in a pharisaical church where we are all used to wagging our fingers at each other because... You know, everybody's got to be perfect all the time. Then when we find a casualty in the spiritual contest, um, that person's to be disregarded and, you know, dismissed. That's not how it is in the body of Christ. The body of Christ is very different. Galatians chapter 6, verse 1. Brothers, if someone is caught in a sin, the King James says, and I like it better, if they're overtaken in a fault. If they're overtaken in a fault, and we are all prone to that, folks, every single one of us. If a person is overtaken in a fault, you which are spiritual should restore him gently. But watch yourselves, or you also may be tempted. What does that mean? Well, that means that uh, we help each other. But remember, sin has this capacity to proselytize, right? Um, if I'm helping somebody in an area that I'm weak in, 
that's probably not the best setup there. But there are people in the body who are strong in those areas. They should be helping that person. But that should be a consideration. If a person, if a brother is overtaken in a fault, we which are spiritual should restore that person. Restore. Restoration. And you really see God's heart here. God isn't about condemnation or denunciation or renunciation or dismissal or, you know, what you know the myriad of other things god is all about restoration look this person's been overtaken in a fault let's come alongside this person let's forbear his sins forbear him and help him get back on his feet again he's necessary in this body of christ okay that's how it works and that's why verse 2 makes all the sense in the world carry each other's burdens and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. And then look at what it says. If anyone thinks he's something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. And in other words, if you think you're too good to help your brother or sister, you know, come, by coming alongside of them and helping, you know, being a strength for them when they're weak and, you know, being a, being an inspiration or whatever, giving them words of wisdom. If you think you're too good for that, well, you deceive yourself. You're simply mistaken. And I'll tell you what, if that is your attitude, if you think you're too good to restore your brother in Christ, there's going to be a day for you. I'll guarantee it. There's going to be a day when you are going to need somebody to come alongside you. And if you think you're too good to come alongside your brother, well, there's going to be a rude awakening one day. Verse 4, each one should test his own actions. And then he can take pride in himself without comparing himself to somebody else. For each of us should carry his own load. And that's a fact. We have our own jobs. We have our own duties. And each one should carry his own load, do his own service, right? This is just very practical ministry right here. Anyone who receives instruction in the word must share all good things with his instructor. Do not be deceived. Now listen to this. God is not mocked. A man reaps what a man sows. The one who sows to please the sinful nature from that nature will, will reap destruction. And the one who sows to please the spirit will of the spirit reap life or eternal life. Okay. This is, in other words, the walk of the spirit is very causal very causal, or not just the walk of the Spirit, it's the life in general. If you're going to sow to the flesh, you're going to get the flesh. And if you're going to sow to the Spirit, you're going to get the Spirit. I mean, this is, this is that agricultural analogy. If you're sowing bad seed, you're going to get bad crop, right? If you sow good seed, you're going to get a good crop. It's that practical. A man reaps what he sows. Verse 9, let us not become weary in doing good. For at the proper time, we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. That's in the context of bearing one another's burdens. We should never be weary bearing one another's burdens. And we all need to do it because we all need it done. That's just the way it is. It's a family. We aren't, you know, loners here. We are interdependent upon one another. Your strength in all, in Certain capacities will be my strength. Now, of course, within this body of Christ, we have maturity levels, right? But I'll tell you something. I really, I really have seen it in my own life, and it's, it's due to examples in other people's lives that I've seen mature men and women of God 
who will avail themselves of a ministry in the life of a babe in Christ. I mean, isn't that something? That they are able to see that that babe in Christ has something they need, and they've availed themselves to that function in the body. And that should be how we are, right? Maturity is important, I think, but in governance, right? The sense of governance within the body, but not in the sense of ministry. That a young person in ministry should be able to minister to the oldest of us, the wisest of us, right? We just don't think these ways. We think in hierarchical, you know, oftentimes a hierarchical fleshly model, but that's not how the body of Christ is set up. The body of Christ is set up like the human body, each part necessary. And, and the point here being is that in this service, you are going to reap if you faint not. If you faint, you're going to fail. And that's how it is. Oftentimes you plant that little plant in the ground or that seed in the ground and it grows and grows and grows and grows and grows. And other than this green stalk coming out of the ground, you know, you're not seeing a lot of fruit. But all of a sudden in the season of, of fruit, there is a huge harvest. You've got to be patient for the harvest, patient for the harvest. Um, where did I leave off? Oh, verse 10. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially to those who belong in the family of believers. And I think about this. If you have a heart of a servant, you don't turn that heart on and off depending on who you're, you know, you're with. I mean, I'm at work with a bunch of unbelievers. Does that mean I stop being a servant? Stop trying to bless people because they're not of the household of faith? No. Not at all. That That's my witness, right? That's my light. And if I'm helping people and I'm blessing people where I am, I mean, I'm showing them what Jesus Christ is all about. Um, see what large letters I use as I write to you in my own hand. So right here, Paul is writing with his own hand. He's, you know, he's taking the letter from the scribe who's been taking dictation, and he's actually writing in his own hand here. Uh, and he's writing in big, bold letters. <laughs> so they get the point. Those who want to make a good impression outwardly are trying to compel you to be circumcised. He's warning them of these Judaizers. He's saying, look, they, they are just using you. They want to make themselves look good by building a church, you know, fashioned in their own likeness. Okay? It says, and then it goes on, the only reason they do this is to avoid being persecuted for the cross of Christ. So think about this. So we have, you know, a situation where Paul is out there preaching the truth of the gospel. He's preaching grace. He's preaching the walk by the Spirit, and Satan hates it. He hates it. And so he thrashes Paul regularly. He persecutes Paul and every spirit-filled church that Paul leaves behind because he can't stand it, because it's a witness against him. But then you have this whole group of Judaizers, and they don't want to get persecuted. They like their nice, comfortable little church. And so they don't teach the truth of God's word because if they did, they would get persecuted like Paul. In other words, at the foundation of this walk by the Spirit is that you are courageous, that you're willing to brook the harassment and the intimidation and everything that gets thrown at you for the glory of God. And that your typical religionist is nothing but a coward when you get right down to it. He wants to be 
accepted by, you know, the media. He wants to be, you know, lauded. He wants to be praised. Hey, he's, you know, he's the great peacemaker. That's not God's peace that he's making. That is not God's peace. And then Paul says in just a very declarative statement, may I never boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. Exclamation point. That should be every believer's attitude. We are not publicly relationists. We're not out there trying to make friends with the world. We are declaring the truth of God's word. We have been crucified unto the world, and the world has been crucified unto us. And that's just the truth of it. And if you are anywhere else in that equation, you are in the wrong place. You are in the wrong place. You are not doing what Christ did on this earth. Now, he didn't go out there looking for fights, but he sure got them, didn't he? And that should be how we are. We go out and speak the truth of the gospel and come what may. And that's the truth of it. That's the truth of it. Let me read that over again. May I never boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. Neither circumcision nor uncircumcision mean anything. What counts is a new creation. What's this talking about? It's the Christ in you, the Christ in you, the new creation, that spirit within us. That's what counts. It doesn't matter what you're, what you look like on the outside. It doesn't matter if you part your hair in the middle or you shave your head bald. It doesn't matter any of that stuff. It matters whether you have Christ in you and are saved and are to the glory of God or you're not. That's all there is to it. Verse 16, peace and mercy to all who follow this rule. This rule. What rule is this? It's the rule of the Spirit, even to the Israel of God. Finally, let no one cause me trouble. And this is Paul. This is a very personal statement. And he's talking about all the defamation that he got from the Judaizers. All the people dragging his name through the mud They did it in Corinth. They did it in Galatia. And Paul is saying, finally, let no one cause me trouble, for I bear on my body the marks of Jesus. He suffered persecution. He didn't have to prove anything to anybody. And I think back on that verse where he said that in Corinthians, where he says, well, here, let me read it to you. Hold on one second. Uh, Paul said, let a man so account of us as ministers of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. Moreover, it is required of a steward that a man be found faithful. Not perfect, but faithful. Now listen to what he says. But with me, it is a very small thing that I should be judged of you or any man's judgment or any man's court. Yeah, I don't even judge my own self. For I know nothing of myself, yet am I not hereby justified? But he that judges me is the Lord. For I know nothing of myself. I'm sorry. Therefore, judge nothing before it's time until the Lord come, who both will bring to light the hidden things of darkness and will make manifest the counsels of the hearts. And then shall every man have praise of God. Isn't that something? So that was Paul's heart, that he was going to declare the truth of the word. And that's all there was to it. Then it says in verse 18, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit, brothers. Amen. Heavenly Father, we thank you for that word. Thank you, Father, for blessing us with the truth of it. I thank you, Father, that we each can rise to that high calling 
that, Father, in our ministries, our capacities, that, Father, we can be inspired by your word and inspired by this walk of the Holy Spirit, and we can rise up and be those men and women that you've called us to be. I thank you, Heavenly Father, for your strength and your wisdom. In your Son's name, Jesus Christ, amen. Yes, Get all things out. 